Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to actor Elizabeth DeRosa. Now, Liz is born in Texas, USA. She got some part-time roles as an extra in the TV series Cold Case in ER, and also The X-Files as well. But she got her big break starring as the role of Maria in the HBO series Eastbound and Down, alongside Danny McBride and Will Farrow. And in my opinion, is one of the funniest TV series out there. If you haven't watched Eastbound and Down, I recommend you watch it. After the success of Eastbound and Down, she also starred in feature movies The 33 and The Greasy Strangler. And more recently, she has been on the comedy series Vita. But before we go, please go to our website, tellcraigyourstory at podbean.com. We are on all the social medias, at tellcraigyourstory. And we also have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major services. We also have a YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel to get the latest updates. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Elizabeth DeRosa on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Liz. How are you going today? I'm good. How are you, Craig? I'm doing good, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy uh, girl with all your, you know, movies and, you know, TV. And so I really, really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. No, uh, my first question. Yeah, no problem. My first question, uh, as with, it, with all my guests, how are you doing in the pandemic? Are your family staying safe? And uh, what, what things did you have to cancel uh, during this period? So for us, it was a very interesting thing because my husband and I moved like a week or two before the pandemic hit. Like we had heard inklings of what was happening, but it hadn't really gone full blown. You know, we left LA before they went into lockdown and we came into, uh, into San Antonio when everybody was just kind of like happy go lucky kind of thing, right? Like it's not affecting us. Ooh, like whatever, we're cool. Yes. Uh, but we moved here because my sister, my, um, the middle sister, uh, Alice, she had a, an allergic reaction to some medication back in December, and she ended up at the burn unit here in San Antonio. Oh, oh. Um, and it's because she ended up with Stephen Johnson syndrome, which oh. then became TENS disease because Stephen Johnson's about 20 to 30% impact on the body. So you only lose about 20 to 30% of your skin, but she had 100% impact. So oh. she lost all of her skin on the outside and then shed it like her uh, lining on her lungs, her esophagus, her tongue, her corneas, everything. So it was kind of all hands on deck, like my mom and my, my, my other sister and my niece and nephew, my stepdad, they moved from Laredo. And then my husband and I came from Los Angeles in order to come and help her through the process because she was in the ICU unit for a while. So we came during that, like this, that was the reason why, right. right? So then we got here on March 4th uh, into an apartment here that we rented and then the pandemic like really started to hit here in this area. So up until the 15th, we were still going out and about. And I actually, uh -huh. cause I do YouTube videos, uh, mainly like budgeting stuff. Uh, but one of them I had filmed and I didn't end up posting it because I went out the 15th when a lot of other places were closed and I'm like, I'm like such an asshole. I'm like walking around like random stores, like, and these, everybody else is like locked up and like in San Antonio, 
it wasn't really like that until probably like the 24th is when people really started like, I wouldn't say taking it seriously, but started taking precautions. And, um, and then I'm a very sickly person. (laughs) I will get everything and anything just contracted right away. Uh, and so my husband really wanted to make sure that I stayed inside as much as possible, but he was going out cause he's a, he works for Affleck. Uh, uh-huh. he's a district coordinator for Affleck. So he has to be out and about meeting people. That's his job. And, uh, but I was staying mostly in, but during the pandemic, aside from being home and being a vitamin D deficient, <laughs> uh, I got everything under the sun except yeah. for COVID. So right. like I got the flu, I got uh, bronchitis, yeah. I got um, a sinus infection, I got, uh, what was the other thing I had? It was an upper respiratory infection. Uh, so I was quarantined for uh, a total of 30 days right. on it, like uh, 15 days on and then five days out and then back in for another 15 days. Because even though I tested negative for COVID, I still had symptoms and as a precaution, they ask you to quarantine yourself. And right. because I had a fever, so my last quarantine, I had a fever on and off like every day. I would take time and I would go down and I would get it back. So I've been sick mostly. <sighs> but you and, look you look you look so much healthier now, but like oh, you look thank you. <laughs> yeah, you look fine now, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean that's basically it. I was quarantined a lot and uh trying to stay busy and uh, not to let like depression get me down because I'm bipolar. Uh I'm on medication, but even with medication, I, I tend to get a little bit depressed or manic, you know, whatever phase you catch me in. So I have to keep myself busy in order to not get like bogged down, which I'm sure even people who aren't bipolar are experiencing that very thing. Yeah, thing. So, um, yeah. So mental health has been like my, my, uh, thing about like just trying to stay on top of that and being very aware of where I'm at, like, you know, in the meter of like, okay, you need to, you need to talk to someone. And luckily yes. I'm, you know, I have a therapist and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's probably like a really, really important time, what you said, to be communicating with your family, with your friends, with, um, with, your, with your therapist as well. So did you have any roles during this time that you had to sort of cancel? No, no, no. Uh, the, the show that I was on, Vita, wrapped its third and final season. So I was coming out of a series. I did was sort of uh, uh, auditioning still a little bit like there was a role for Selena to play Yolanda Saldivar which I think is either filming right now or is already done filming my friend Naomi Gonzalez is on it she plays Suset Quintanilla but when they first came to me with it I was like no I don't want to play her because yeah. I'm, I'm from Texas and you know I grew uh, up with Selena even though I spent a lot of my life in California like I knew who Selena was like that was probably the first singer who I was just like, oh my God. And I met her when I was eight years old at a taco palenque in Laredo, Texas. And, uh, and she was just so kind to me and it, that just always stayed with me. And I was like, I will never, ever play that woman. Also Lupe Ontiveros did an amazing job that like, you can't touch that. Like, it's just yes. like, not just don't want to do that. So I was like, no, I don't want to audition for it. And I, I, they came to me like three times and I, I turned it down because the person casting it, Carla Hool, casted me on Eastbound and Down and the 33. Right. So, yeah. Wow. yeah. There you go. That's some yeah. good. 
And we'll talk about that a lot, lady. I can't wait to talk about Eastbound and Down with you. But let's uh, talk about uh, Vida. That, that's your recent sort of role. So how did that all come about? And, and um, tell, tell us about the, the casting process. Yeah. So originally I auditioned for the pilot presentation, which is about a 15 minute. It's a condensed uh, version of the pilot in order to get it picked up. Right. So I auditioned for the um, pilot presentation for the role of Madi, who ended up being my best friend on the show. And then Chelsea got that. And then I just didn't hear about it, you know. Uh, and then they came back uh, to they basically stars picked it up. But then I still went in and auditioned for the role of Madi again, which was weird because I thought it had already been cast. Right. Uh, and uh, but then. I went in super hardcore. Actually, if you go look on my Instagram, there's a picture of me like in a yellow flannel and I have all these tattoos because my really good <laughs> friend and brother from another mother, Efren Ramirez, who some of you might know from Napoleon Dynamite as Pedro, yes. he like was like, he coached me on it and he was like, no, we're going hard because she's from like, you know, East, you know, Boyle Heights and I, I grew up in Boyle Heights. I know Boyle Heights. So we went hard for yes. Mari and Mari is not hard. If you watch the show, she is like, you know, she's tough, but she's like a big, you know, like, I don't know. Little teddy bear. Yeah, teddy bear. Um, She's all mouth, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so we went in hard, but Tanya was in the room, and so was Carmen DeCuba, who was the casting director. And um, they called me in again, and they said, we want you to read for the role of Yoli. And I was like, okay. So I did it, and I did it with Efren. We... Carmen always has you self-tape before you come into her office. Uh, that's just her process. And uh, so I filmed it in Ephraim's kitchen. And I got a call back to go in. And uh, I, I did it. And I did it with uh, a slight accent. Just a little right. bit of an accent. Because I knew that she was DACA. So I knew that she wasn't born in the U.S. So, But she grew up in Boyle Heights. So she just had, I just gave her like a slight little accent. And at the end of it. It felt good, but at the end of it, the casting director, I was telling her about the guisados, which is what she mentions, uh, her tacos guisados. And then I'm like, do you know what they are? Like in my normal accent. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're like super small tacos. And they're like, they like overpriced you for them and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> She's like, can I ask you something? And I was like, sure. She's like, can you do your audition again, but with that accent, like right. your normal voice? Because it's such a weird like, um, what does she call it? It's like the juxtaposition of what you look like to how you speak. And I was like, okay. So I did it. And then I ended up landing the role. And then I come to find out that Tanya Saracho, who is the creator of the show, actually wrote that role for herself. Right. But she liked me so much in the room that I got cast as Yoli. Right. That's so yeah. cool. Have you ever had any sort of issues uh, doing accents like in roles? Or is it, uh, it's sort of easy for you? Uh, no, it's really hard for me. Actually, Eastbound and Down, when they wanted me to do a Mexican accent, because I was born in Texas, you know, I'm like third generation and on my mom's side, or wait, no, second generation on my mom's side, and like hundreds of years on my father's side, because my grandfather was Native American, full Native American. Right. So he was, you know, he was um, from um, Arapaho, uh, which is like Colorado, Oklahoma area. So for many, many years there, so I, I never really had an accent. So on Eastbound and Down, I remember that we're filming and Jody Hill, one of the creators and writers and directors of the show, was I was like, oh, okay, well, we're, I'm supposed to do an accent. Can I? I'm like, I don't know. It 
it sounds a little weird to me. And he's like, he heard it and he's like, uh, do you, I'm like, I think we need to get you a dialect coach. <laughs> <laughs> so they got me a dialect coach, yeah, right. a white woman to do <laughs> an Mexican accent. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little strange. <laughs> yeah, so, but now I've kept that uh, that accent for any role that requires me to be like a Mexican woman. Uh, and you know, and luckily, like you know, in, in Greasy Strangler, I had no accent. I was just Janet. Uh, and then I did this movie called Lemon, which I loved. It was like such a passion project for everyone. And Janixa Bravo, who was our director, and and she co-wrote it with her husband or her partner. She goes, she's like, whatever you feel comfortable. If you feel like you want to give her an accent, great. If you don't, don't. Whatever you feel comfortable with, just do it. And I just felt that the character, because she was so Frida Kahlo-ish, that she just needed that little bit of an accent because it just gave her a little bit more of a drive. And I just remember that I was like, I was so happy that I did that because I did a scene, Rhea Perlman. And I (laughs) did her break in the scene. She laughed. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so happy. So, so yeah, yeah, it just varies, you know, from play, from thing to thing. And, and you were talking about uh, doing passion projects. Is is that something uh, as an actor? You you know, you've been an actor for quite a while now. Is that something that you need to, to sort of do every once in a while to do like a passion I, project? So I think it keeps you honest, uh, but yeah. also, I mean, whatever job comes my way, really. I mean, yeah, like, I think they'd be like, oh my god, I did it as a passion project. But I mean, but that one really was because my agent didn't want me to do it. Uh, because it wasn't paying that much. and But I'm just like, but look at the freaking cast. Like, yes. I don't give a shit if they're paying me $5 a day. Yes. Look at the cast and look at the script. That is a brilliant script. I know it's going to translate so well. Like, And it's true. I mean, like, Janexa had such an eye. And she was so involved in, like, the color scheme and, like, the what we wore and stuff like that. That I was just like, I don't, like, it's real Perlman. It's Neil Long. It's Brett Gelman. It's, uh, oh my gosh, what's his face from the Goldbergs? It's Megan Mullally. It's, I mean, this is like some heavy yeah. freaking hitters. Yeah, that's and right. I'm like, I'm not going to say no to that. Yeah. Just because it's not paying what you want it to pay me. Yes. And I'm like, I get to be on set, which is like the most important thing as an actor, because you do lose that muscle memory if you're not, you know, working it. And I'm not into like the whole, like, you know, like, oh, you know, like my method or whatever. But I do believe that you have to be on set so that you don't lose that muscle memory, that there's yeah. something, because I'm not, I'm not a trained actor. Like I just flew by the seat of my Natural. pants because I wanted to be on a series that I loved as a kid. That's the mm-hmm. only reason. So everything that I've done has been just innately in me that I just make a choice and it works, right. you know? So. With, with a booking agency as well, I'm always interested to find out about that. How did you find the booking agency? Did they did they find you? Did you find them? And is have you ever thought of doing like something yourself? Like, or how how does that all work? Uh, so with my agent and my manager, the first go round, uh, I they came to me. Um, right. I was um, I had been doing extra work. I got my SAG card. I'd just gone through a breakup. Who I'm now married to the guy that I broke up that oh, broke right. up back then. Uh, he broke up with me. And, uh, but so it was like, I was just out of this relationship. I was crushed. You know, I was like in my early twenties and I was like, Oh my God, life is over. And, uh, my best friend, one of my best friends, cause I, I, I'm, it's worth the three amigos, Rocky. And then Yuli, my other friend. 
So Rocky had a manager and an agent and his manager called him and said, hey, is Liz with you? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, let me talk to her. And I said, he gave me the phone. And he's like, hey, he's like, there's this part. They've they've screened 100 girls. They haven't been able to find her. And I think you would be perfect for her. Right. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, but I don't have a headshot. I don't have a resume. And I've never auditioned before. And then he's like, they know that. They'll take a Polaroid. Just go. So I prepped really quick with Rocky. It was like, this was like noon. So we prepped really quick because it was at Warner Brothers and it had to be there by three. Prepped quickly with him. I went in at three. I read it. Like they clapped and everything. And I was like, oh, like they do this at auditions. That's really nice of them. <laughs> and then they're like, you come back for a callback at uh, five. And I was like, sure. So I didn't know what a callback really was, but I was like, so I just stayed and sat there for like two hours. And then I had to go back into the room and they had auditioned maybe like two girls before me. And I went back into the room and Paris Barkley was there, who's a TV uh, veteran director. And then Miriam Steinem, I think is her name. She was uh, one of the main people at CBS at the time. And then Vina Saad, who was a writer of this project, but then ended up writing like, uh, um, oh my gosh, The, the Killing. She was oh. a creator of that show. And then now she has this other show that she created. She's an amazing writer. But Venus said, and then the two casting directors. So I didn't expect all those people to be in there. So I just did what I did. And then like, they were like clapped again. And I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, great. Like, it was so great seeing you. We're going to see you on Monday. And I was like, okay. Because I thought they were just calling me back in again. And yes. then the casting director was like, no, we still have three girls outside. And, and then Paris uh-huh. was like, okay, well, would you mind waiting outside? And then you know, we'll talk to you. And I was like, cool. So then the girls went in and out, in and out. And then at the end, they're like, okay, so we'll, we'll talk to you in a little bit, but see you Monday. And then I get a call from the manager. He says, you got the show, top of the, sh- top of the show. You get your own trailer. You get this. This is how much you're getting. And then he signed me. And then wow. from there, my agent saw the episode. Or actually, no, uh, this woman who I know, uh, Julia Vera, who's also a veteran TV actress and who was on the X-Files twice, uh, <laughs> she saw me and then she called her agent, John Hugh, and said, you need to sign this girl. She's from my hometown. And she just got this part. She had no representation prior to it. So he signed me and I was with him till for nine years. And then I moved on to my other agent, Thomas Richards, who then I left a couple of years and now I'm with Brian uh, Wittenstein and then my manager's Mara Santino. And again, her, she signed me because her best friend was with me on Eastbound and Down. She did my hair. And she's like, you need to sign this girl right now. And she signed me. (laughs) So it's all about networking and communication, right? Like who you know, right? But uh, yeah, no, I mean, like I've just been very, very fortunate. So like whenever they have me speak at events about like my experience with getting into the industry, I'm like, it was really easy. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't happen. I was a kid who wanted to be on the X-Files. I did extra work and I got my SAG card. I went on my first audition and I got it. And then I just kept getting jobs. And after Eastbound and Down, I thought it was a fluke. And I was like, I should go take an acting class because what if I never work again? So, so I did, I took a few acting classes to make sure that I was good enough, you know, because I was used to working on sets with people who went to like you know, universities for this, who trained at these academies, who like, you know, like just really worked on their craft. And here I was a kid from the trailer park in Laredo, Texas, who just did it. Like, you know, I just wanted to do it and I did it. So 
I always, I always have that thing of like, where I feel like I'm not good enough, even still like that I'm too green that I don't know enough. Yeah. yeah. Right. Maybe yeah. one day mom, it'll be like, okay, finally uh, I'm there. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so Liz, let's go back, uh, way back. So uh, it says, um, and we talked about this a little bit before, uh, born in, uh, Laredo, Texas. But it says also says that you've been raised in LA. So let's talk about this. So was your mother and father were they also in the entertainment industry? Were they also actors? No, no. 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 So, no, so what? They were. Uh, my my dad really never really had a job. <laughs> oh really? I mean, he did, but he didn't. Like he, I'm going to be very honest because I'm very very honest about my life. My da- my dad was a drug dealer. Uh, my mom was on welfare benefits and they were teen parents when they had me, they had me when they were 16 years old. So um, most of my life I was used to my dad being at home and like fighting with him at five o'clock in the morning to see who was going to get to watch their cartoons. Uh, Cause I always wanted to watch rainbow bright and care bears. And he always wanted to watch GI Joe and transformers. So we would do it out <laughs> TV. Right. In the morning, mind you. Yeah. Um, He's a very fun dad, but he, you know, he was in and out of my life most, uh, in and out most of my life because he was in prison because of the drug dealing. Um, and he died when he was very young of complications of cirrhosis because he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. So he died at the age of 39. So for um, you as a, so you as a little kid, how, how did that affect you? Or, or did that sort of, you didn't think of that at that time? Well, know? at that time, it really wasn't anything like it was just such a normal thing for me, like the drugs and stuff, like being around them and yes. seeing him deal and stuff. It was a very, very normal thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not until I grew up much older, you know, was in my teenage years that I knew that I was like, okay, this is a really like messed up situation. Um, But yeah, so they weren't in part of the entertainment industry. I knew that when we lived in LA when I was younger, I almost uh, did commercials because my aunt's uh, live-in girlfriend at the time uh, wanted to put me in commercials and I got a part, but my parents were like, she's too young. No, no, she's not going to do that. So then that just never happened. And literally, I got bitten by the acting bug solely because I loved Mulder and Scully. And I was <laughs> X-Files. Yes. Like, I remember, like, September 1983, like, it was just yesterday. I was 12 years old, and I watched this show with, like, these two FBI agents who I was like, oh, my God, they're so in love. Because uh, <laughs> I'm like, I was I am a shipper. And, uh, and I was like, I want to be like Scully. And it was just like my dream and goal was to be on that show or meet David and Jillian. So yeah. I came out to LA in 2000, in 2000 while they were filming, it was April of 2000 and they were filming the fight club, which featured Kathy Griffin in right. the episode. And I got to meet Jillian there. And I oh, remember wow. that people screen her name and stuff. And, uh, I was, I said, Gillian, Gillian. So she heard that and she like came over and she, and her episode, all things, the one that she wrote and directed had just aired. And my poster said, I loved all things. Congrats. So she oh, like signed it and stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, and then literally after that, I was 18 and I was like, screw it. I'm going back to Laredo. Cause mind you, I went to California under the guise that I was going to go visit my grandma and I ended up meeting up with someone who I met on the X-Files message board and stayed at her house in order to go be an extra on the X-Files. I wow. took the Greyhound, not knowing this person, if she was even who she said she was. And wow. I remember telling all these people and they like came, like five people came off the uh, um, bus with me because like they were convinced that I was going to get murdered and dismembered. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, because, you know, I was just like, I just want to be, you know. So then I I went home and I was like, I'm going to move to LA and be an actress because I want to be on the X-Files. And literally (laughs) I packed up all my stuff, all of my VHS tapes because I had 202. Well, actually at that point I didn't have 202. But all of my VHS tapes with all my X-Files episodes on them, which were my (laughs) prized possession. Plus I had just gotten the X-Files Fight the Future. It was like this box set from um, this place called Spencer's. Right. And then Spencer's, I think, is another thing. But anyway, it was a video place, and I had just gotten it. was like $90. And so my prized possessions and $700 to my name, and I moved to L.A. to pursue an acting career, which I had never had any inkling towards, never did anything at school remotely to do with acting. I was in choir. That was about it. Now, and- going, now, now going from Texas to L.A., that's a bit of a bit of a jump. So when you first moved there, how was it? Like what was it like fitting into the LA sort of scene? Not hard because I mean I was raised there on and off right, for right. so many years. So um, not super hard. It was just more of like figuring out how to get around in this big ass city and making it to like these background casting calls. So that was more my my thing. It was like I remember being at the uh, Grand Auditorium, which is now something completely different, off of Washington and Grand in downtown LA at three o'clock in the morning after a cast, like a background call, and I didn't have a ride home, and I was so scared. I was so so scared because how was I? And somebody like took pity on me who was there as a background actor, and luckily gave me a ride. Uh, but you know, I was, I remember getting lost in MacArthur park and calling my grandmother at the time. And we were both crying on the phone because I didn't know where I was and she didn't know how to get me home. Uh, you know, I remember waking up at two o'clock in the morning to be at the bus stop at three o'clock to be in Manhattan beach, to be background for Allie McBeal or Boston public. And, and then coming back home at 10 o'clock at night and falling asleep on the subway and going back and forth like three times before I had to go back the next day and do it all over again. Wow. You know, so those that was like that was when I did my time, I think. And I learned a lot because since like I said, I'm not a trained actor. I learned on set and I learned by watching others and mimicking others. So being a background actor really helped me knowing what how to find my light and how yes. what a mark was and what camera left, camera right was. Those are things that you can't really be taught in acting class unless they're a cam on camera acting class. Cause otherwise if you're going to like the Joanne Barons or like the Stella Adlers or you know, all these pieces that so many people pay so much money for, it's more like theater environment than actual on-camera acting. And if you're going to do theater, great, go for that. But on-camera acting, you need to be an extra so you can get on-set experience and watch yeah, other people do what you want to do. That's I a mean, great tip. That's my, that's that's my a, perspective. Well, yeah. Like yeah. you said, that's a great tip for inspiring actors that want to do that as well. Yeah. I have some actors here in Australia that, you know, are starting off here and then, you know, they want to go to L.A. as well. But then there's, they go to auditions and there's thousands of people doing for these yeah. little... Uh, what, what's your advice? Do background. Uh, you know, just keep going. Just keep trying. Don't let it sort of... You know, do you I have mean, tips for the inspiring actors? I think everyone's path is different, right? Because, like, I had a very easy path in that sense of, like, I didn't have to struggle as much as I've seen some other friends struggle with things like in getting into the industry or even trying to still get into the industry. But I think that for sure, onset experience is always, I will always say that 100%. So if you can do extra work, do extra work. 
Like it's a thankless job because you're basically moving furniture, but it, it just teaches you a lot watching what they're doing and you you pick up the lingo and then you end up knowing what a best boy does you end up knowing what a gaffer's job is yes. you end up knowing what you know camera c camera you know a camera b you end up knowing what the difference is between a multi-cam show and a single cam show and you know you just learn all of these things by being an extra that i just absolutely will always say 100 percent and get your SAG card if you if you can, because I know a lot of people like are SAG eligible and then they wait because they want to do like all this other stuff. And it's like, yes, you want to build a resume, but if you're not putting yourself out there as a SAG actor, right. like when are you going to do it? Like, exactly. yes, you should wait to build experience, but at the same time, you should jump on it so that you can actually work in what you want to work in and then yeah I always recommend acting classes but not okay I won't recommend acting classes I will recommend on-camera classes and audition technique classes over actual acting classes because if you've already have some experience and you go into like Joanne Barron, Stella Adler, Meisner, uh, you know the Playhouse West, Playhouse Beverly Hills, any of those those are going to strip you from your natural given talents to the very bare bones and then build you up in their technique. Right. Now there's amazing actors that have those techniques, amazing actors, but it's not all about technique. Sometimes it's not all about the talent. Sometimes it's just really about the look. So why spend all that time and all that money on that technique if it really comes down to the look and sometimes yes. how you look with the other person? It doesn't even have to do, you know, like I've been to so many castings where I'm like, I know I did a fucking badass job and I watched the person that got the part and they were like, hey, but it was literally the look that it was private practice. I was like, why didn't I get it? And I watched and I'm like, oh, she looks blue collar. I didn't look blue collar Uh, enough, but it really comes down to the look sometimes. It's not so much the talent. Uh, not always, but in some cases it is. So I always say audition technique or on-camera class so you can watch yourself and perfect your technique. That's what I would recommend over any like of those, you know, free places where you're going to spend a lot of money so that they can tell you how great they are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so can you remember the, your first uh, actual paid role, like on screen yes. paid role? And the how West. much did you get paid? Um, the West so, yes, but I was in a featured extra. And right. I think for one week of work, we, so it was right after 9-11, and they did this special episode. Aaron Sorkin actually pushed back the episode that they were originally going to film, and he rewrote this uh, He wrote this episode called Isaac and Ishmael, and it's a special episode for the West Wing. I ended up being a, one of the kids that gets stuck in the White House. We were, like, on a high school tour uh-huh. And I'm one of the kids that gets stuck there. And that's how I met my best friends, Rocky and Yuli. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. And, uh, and I made, I think, 7000 for the week. It was my first extra job as a SAG extra. And uh-huh. it was a featured role. So I ended up making about 7000 for that week. And the cast couldn't have been more yeah. amazing and loving. And Martin Shane, like their leader, like he was fantastic. Like he came into the room and introduced himself to everyone. And there was like this pillar between him and I, and he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. That is so rude. Let me come around to you. And he yes. comes around and he shakes my hand. He's like, hi, I'm Martin. What's your name? And I'm like, hi, I- I'm Lizzie. Cause by the time at that time I went by Lizzie and he's like, hi Lizzie. It's very nice to meet you. He's like, it's my birthday today. You should have some cake. Did you have some cake? And I was <laughs> like, 
no, not yet. <laughs> every day, one cast member would get us like something, like a treat. So we had like Starbucks one day, ice cream the next day, because each cast member took turns like doing it. I don't have to say that Stalker Channing wasn't like the nicest, but uh, everybody else is fantastic. Everybody that is, is so, that so, is, so, that so is nice. That is so cool. And then away yeah. you went. Being a part of Shirley uh, of Cold Ca- on Cold Case, uh, ER, most recognized or from from where I, I have seen you um, a couple of years ago, one of my housemates said, you have to watch this uh, new series on HBO, Eastbound and Down. Yeah. And um, it's like, okay, I'll give it a go. And, you know, watching that that first series, it was just like, wow, this is totally different. And yeah. it's so it, it's so funny. It's so it, there's so many wrong things about it, but it's so funny. But, but I imagine just... it like it, it's like across the board. Like nobody's safe on that show. Like you yes. know, any religious background, you know, <laughs> uh, race, whatever. It's like everyone across the board. And I think, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why people love it, and also one of the reasons why some people don't love it yes. because it's just you know. There it it's is. Kind of, yeah. Take it or leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very much unapologetically what it is. Yeah, I get it runs the gamut. And then sometimes the people that are fans of it, I'm just like shocked. But I mean, I guess it's all my preconceived notions of who would like the show. So sometimes when I see someone and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, because, you know, because it sometimes it makes caricatures of people that might not like that they're being made into caricatures. Like even my character was a caricature of a Mexican woman. Yeah. So, you know, some people might find it offensive, but so I'm generally always like shocked and thrilled at finding out who like loves the show. So it's just really cool. So uh, you play the role of Maria and you come into the season two, so- right? Yeah, as like the uh, Kenny's in in Mexico in baseball. Stevie comes down and fires him, and then you're you're so, uh, you're a part of the family that, that Kenny's uh, staying yeah. with, right? So I, I would love to hear about uh, like the whole casting process yeah. and um, how you got picked uh, to do this, considering that, uh, like you said before, you're from Texas. You're not you're not actually Mexican, yeah. But, you didn't even film in Mexico, right? You, you yeah, actually we filmed in Puerto filmed Rico. Puerto Rico, right. Yeah. So how did that all come about? Was it your manager that found the role? Tell us about that. So it was my agent because I didn't have a manager at the time. Uh, right. It's because I had left Frederick, my first manager by that point, and I was only with John Hugh, who was my agent, and unfortunately he passed a couple of years ago. So he sent me to the first casting thing, and I had never auditioned for comedy. Up until that point, I had mainly auditioned for, like, ER, cold case, you know, just like very dramatic Southland, very dramatic, very procedural shows. And I had I had never done improv in my life. Right. So he sent me to this and there he's like, they, they want you to improv. And I was like, I, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then so I remember I was dragging my feet. He's like, just go. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I was sitting outside of the audition room and Carla Hool was casting it. But at the time, Simone LaFer, her associate uh, casting director was there. And uh, I was waiting in my car 30 minutes past the audition. And I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he's like, just go. Just do it. Like, just try it. Just just mm. give it a try. And I was like, okay. So I went in. And Simone LaFer is known for not letting anyone audition if they are late. Right. And I didn't know this at the time. Yeah. But I went in. And by that time, they were auditioning for the role of the bodyguard, which my friend Nelson Grande ended up getting the part. Right. Uh, Michael Benya, 
for his character as the bodyguard. So I, I go in and I tell her that I'm here for Maria and that I had another audition and that I just got here. And she's like, okay. She's like, I'll let you audition, but you're going to have to wait here until they're all done. So wow. I sat there for an hour. Wow. And then she finally brings me in and there's her and the reader. And uh, she's like, okay, like, so this is a scenario. I was originally reading for the role of Katui's wife, which is Ephraim Ramirez's right. wife. And they wanted to make sure that I was okay with like showing my breasts because I was supposed to be breastfeeding in one of the scenes. And I was like, that's fine. And so she gave me a scenario. I started reading with the reader and stuff. And then she's like, okay. She's like, we're done. She's like, can you work local Puerto Rico? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm from here. I don't, can't work local Puerto Rico. She's like, do you have a passport? I'm like, yes. And I was like, all that stuff. So I leave. And then um, about a few days later, I got a call back for that role. And they're like, okay, now you're reading for Network for Katui's wife. And you're going right. to chemistry read with Ephraim Ramirez, who is potentially going to be Katui. And I knew that he was in Napoleon Dynamite. But to this day, I have never seen Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> so, But I knew who he was because it was such a big thing, you know. Yes. Um, so I remember showing up to... Enemy uh, Migs and uh, what's the other production company? It's Danny's production company. But because um, Enemy Migs, I think, is uh, David Gordon Green's company. But so I go in and it's like this these bungalows out in Hollywood. And uh, I see Ephraim. Actually, no, before I go in, I get a call. He's like, hey, this is Ephraim Ramirez. I just wanted to talk to you because I wanted to, you know, wish you luck tomorrow. And like, we're, we're going to do awesome. And so he wanted to like, uh, just get me warmed up for it and like, sort of build a little sure. like friendship yeah. before, which was really great. Like, I don't even know how he got my number. Yeah. I was like, what? Hello? Um, so I show up, and he's there with his assistant. And you know, he's like trying to get me less nervous because I had never done anything like that. And so we go in. And we do about 15 minutes of improv and I I didn't recognize anyone in the room except for the casting directors. I didn't know who Danny McBride was because I had never seen Pineapple Express. I had never seen the Foot, Footless Way or Minority Report. I hadn't seen any of that. So I had no idea who the fuck he was. Yeah. Um, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and so Jody Hill was there. Stephanie uh, Lang was there. And a bunch of people who I had no idea who they were. The only name that I knew that was attached to the project was Will Ferrell. Right. And uh, so we did the thing and I had, I was, I was wearing this dress because I was going to fake breastfeed. And I remember that as we were going back and forth, I started getting a little, like feeling a little like chill, like there was a chill. And cause I had worn a strapless bra. And then at the end of it, they were all laughing. And I was like, what? And my, my dress had fallen down below my bra. Oh no. I, so I was like, well, you wanted to know if I would go topless. Yes. And then they all started laughing. Um, so that was that. It was supposed to be three episodes for that particular character. And I was like, cool, like, I think I did good. And I'm running out with Efren, And Simone runs behind me. And she's like, hey. She's like, is there any way that you can come back tomorrow and chemistry read with Steve? It's for a completely different role. We don't have any sides for her but can you come and read for her? And Danny and Jody are going to talk to you beforehand because they want to make sure that, that, that we get her right. And I was like, okay. So I get home and I think it was Danny who called me and he's like, so tomorrow I want you to wake up, don't brush your teeth, don't brush your hair, put on the worst outfit you can think of and come to this audition. And I was like, okay. 
So I got these warm ups that had like Clorox stains on them and like this shirt with an American flag that had mustard stain on it, like that had stayed in on it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to make her girly and I'm going to give her some gold ballet flats because that's the way that she expresses her girliness. And I had no idea who Steve Little was, by the way. So I walk in, Danny and Jody come and look at my outfit and they come and look at other options. And then they're like, no, this, this is good. So I'm like, okay, so I'm ready. And I saw Steve and Steve did not talk to me at all because he didn't know who the fuck I was. <laughs> and oh, there I go again. Sorry. <laughs> so we go in, we sit next to each other and they just give us scenarios and we're sitting in. it's 20 minutes of just us going back and forth. And I'm supposed to not understand English, even though I do, and only speak Spanish to him. And uh, at one point he like touched my nipple and I almost broke and I just like leaned into him and I started laughing, but like quietly. And he's and he just, I just remember him grabbing me and he doesn't remember this, but I remember him grabbing me, putting his arm around my, the front of my face. And he's like, don't break, don't break, don't break, don't break. And, uh, and then we got through it. And then at the end of it, I was like, cool, I'm out. And three weeks later, I got the part. I landed in Puerto Rico on May the 5th. Uh, we had a massive party and I got super wasted because I was so nervous of being like yes. around all these people, yes. around all these real actors. And I, I got super wasted because they told me that night that they were bring, bringing me back for season three, even though I hadn't even shot the first six episodes. Wow. And then yeah. in season four, I found out if you listen to the behind the scenes things, that Maria didn't exist until I walked into the room. They wrote her for me. Yeah. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. So it was just a really cool, like, thing, like, you know, just to, it's such a compliment, especially for someone who had no experience, really, you know, yes. it was so clean that they, like, well, I have, know, I, have, I have heard some of the commentary uh, um, for the second season, and they said that you were, you were an absolute standout, and they yeah. said that, that they had to do something, you know, for you that's you know. so great yeah i, yeah. I haven't heard that yeah yeah you told me for later in the the behind the scenes things and I, that was the first time that i had ever heard that and yeah. i was like oh that is so cool um so yeah i mean but i was a handful for them because i went crazy i was <laughs> drinking and getting into fights and like i was just get i was like out of control like so the fourth season i literally had them not put me at the same hotel as everyone because i was just I was like a train without brakes. And I mean, like I was just getting in so much trouble and they they put up with me. There was nothing but love there. Like I was just, you know, you're living, you're living on the beach where you have access to anything and everything at your disposal. You have all this money and you're like, you know, youngish. Yes. And you're gonna go batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you're not around anybody that you know. You're just in this group with this group of people. It's like summer camp, you yes. know. So a lot of us got into trouble. <laughs> I into trouble, but yeah, I'm, I'm just glad they never fired me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what, what was it like? Like a obviously with a nude scene, there was a sex scene. So <laughs> one of your first major roles, and all of a sudden you're getting, you know. <laughs> So what was that like? Was it was it nerve wracking? Like, like, yeah. So. Well, like I was originally okay with showing the boob for the breastfeeding, but then when Maria they told me that she was going to do full nudity, 
yeah. I turned it down. And I remember at the time I had this friend who worked for Connie Freiberg, who was Julian Anderson's manager at the time, because oh, yeah. I always had to have my connections to them. <laughs> uh, so I remember speaking to her and I saying like, I don't know that that's something that I want to do. And then she's like, well, it's HBO. And she's like, so it's expected. And then she's like, it's not like you're doing it for some random channel, because if, if anything, it's HBO and it's going to get accolades of some form. Yes. And then she's like, so if you think about it as that way, then you're not going to feel so self-conscious because, you know, basically everyone on the show at some point is going to get naked, except for like Danny and Katie. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was like, OK, fine. But I didn't know the day that I was having my sex scene because it wasn't on the schedule. And we had been working for about, I think, 14 hours that day. And it was Puerto Rico, which was very humid hot. Yeah. and extremely hot. And so I was gross, right? And then they're like, so we were having dinner and Jody uh, comes up to me and he's like, hey, so we're going to do your sex scene tonight. And I was like, what? He's like, so what do you need to make you feel comfortable? And I literally deadpan looked at him like tequila, lots and lots yeah. of tequila. <laughs> so Gia, Danny's wife, who was, prop, who was in props, got me a cold a chilled tequila and a warm tequila and then like a glass with uh, limes. And I was literally taking shots and they're like, can I go back to my trailer so I can take a shower? They're like, no, we don't have time. We have to get it done now. And I was like, okay, can somebody get me wipes and lotion? Yeah. I went into this bathroom that was like dirty and dinky and I just did like a quick wipe down and put on some lotion. And then they gave me like this nude underwear, like uh, granny panties for the lack of yeah. better word. And, um, and that was it. And I walked in and Steve had a robe and he had his courtesy sock and I had my robe with my underwear and I, they're like, okay, so we want to set up and get the lighting. So can you like disrobe? And I just remember taking off my robe and just slamming my chest up against Steve. And I'm like, please, please, please just stay close, just stay close, just stay close. And so we were laying, he like laid down on top of me and he's supposed to be like humping me. And Danny is our cue to stop because he walks in and I remember that Steve was trying to make me feel comfortable. So he was like, you smell pretty. Your skin is <laughs> soft. I'm like, not helping. Not helping. <laughs> so then Danny would just stand and laugh at the door because he, like, we were just so ridiculous. Yes. And so Steve ended up bruising my pelvic bone because oh, it was man. like just rubbing, you know? Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh my God. And then like at one point, like I remember he was, you know, having a reaction and then he was embarrassed and I'm like, no, it's like uh, our yeah. bodies, you know, it's like our bodies don't know that we're not doing this, right? Yes. So our bodies are going to react. Yes. Uh, like we know, but our yeah. bodies don't. And uh, so it was just like such a surreal thing. And then I remember at one point they're like, can you wear a thong? Because we can see the underwear too much. And I was like, I'm like, okay. And they're like, or can you just go full nudity? I was like, can we try the thong first? Because yeah. at that point I wasn't really aware of what I could say yes or no to. I didn't really know what my place was. And I was in Puerto Rico and I was like, I was hoping that they wouldn't lead me astray. And, and I would say that 95% of the time they were like super conscious of the fact that I was very green and stuff. So they wouldn't push me on certain things. They'd ask though, but yes. they would push me on certain things because they knew that I was like, I, I didn't want to say no, but I didn't know that I could say no. Right. You know, kind of like, yeah. no, like I wanted to say no, but I didn't know that I could say no. Yes. So I would be like, can we do this and see yes. if it works? 
weeks. Let's go in this direction. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very it was a very surreal. But now I'm just used to getting naked. Uh, I'm just used to being like the go-to like Latina, chubby Latina. The bit's like you're gonna get naked. So, uh, so there's definitely you know a jumping-off point. You know what best jumping-off point than Eastbound and Down? <laughs> That's right. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And talking about that, like, how much was improv, like, your lines? Because I know Danny McBride and uh, Will Farrow definitely, in previous movies, uh, outtakes are, like, hours and hours of just, like, you know, just laughing and just, like, having a good time trying to get that perfect. So how much was improv and how much was actually your set lines? So there was definitely scripts, right, that we followed the format, um, but we were definitely allowed to play. And for Maria, a lot of her language was mine because they didn't know how to write certain things. I would have to go back and rewrite them. I always told them like, hey, do I get writer's credit for this? Because I would like I would, you know, make up stuff in Spanish or her for the final like season three or season four, I would just, you know, put the things together. But there was definitely like an idea of what they wanted there. And then I would just like spruce it up with whatever I thought. And um, Danny and, and them were always really great about that. I still remember one of my favorite moments was when Stevie shoots his chin off. Oh. Uh, that whole scene, we went into a separate room because it was supposed to be a very heavy, heavy scene. Yeah. So it was Danny, Steve, and I, and we were at this motel in North Carolina, in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and the entire hotel had been rented out for us for that night. And I remember we went into one of the separate rooms and we sat there and Danny's like, I just want to talk it through, see what you guys are comfortable with. And I was telling Danny, I'm like, well, I think Maria's coming off a little bit too harsh here. Like she doesn't care. And regardless of what's happened between Stevie and Maria and him cheating on her, she loves him and she yes. supports him. She's like his ride or die chick. So I don't think she would ever do that. And he's like, okay. He's like, why don't we try one that way? The, the way that it's it's intended to. And he's like, and then we'll try the rest whatever way you want. So I literally, he told me, he's like, just go let Scripty know that you're going to be doing this. And I just went up to Scripty and I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm on this part, I'm going to do this. On this part, I'm going to do this. And so the, 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 the freedom and the, uh, the support and the trust that they had in us in order to just kind of do our own thing. And sometimes that's when the magic happened. And yes. more times than not, that's when they, those were the takes that they kept. Yes. You know, because it was just naturally, and and also again, I'm an untrained actor, so I fumbled throughout. Yeah. But it, that's what made for good comedy, I think. Yes. That I was so unaware yeah. in a way, at least in the in season two, I was just so completely unaware that I was just kind of like a deer caught in headlights kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so I came off very like you know, kind of like doughy eyed and like you know, innocent and whatnot. I will always think of Eastbound and Down fondly and I will always miss it every time I'm on another set because I know that the magic that we had on that set is like there's you can't replicate it and they keep uh, they kept saying like on that last series that will there be another one Danny McBride's always like saying never say never you know uh, we'll just take a break for the while but you know who knows we we could all come back together and you know, start a whole story again. That well, would they be... didn't talk about like a spinoff with Stevie and Maria, but Steve kind of didn't want to be stuck in that role of like uh-huh. Stevie forever, you know? Right. So um, I know that there was talks about that, but I-, I think he put a kibosh on it pretty quickly. 
but I understand him. Like he was very much associated with that character. And yes. every time people would always tell me like, is he really that slow? And I'm like, no, <laughs> he's an actor. <laughs> character. Yes. Yeah. He played that so good. He like, obviously Danny McBride gets all the raps. Kenny Powers. He's the man. Even talking to my friends and you know people. He's the MVP, man. He's the that's MVP. It. If if they didn't have if they didn't have Stevie Little as his sidekick, um, yeah. I don't think it would have been as popular as it was. Well, Is that a fair call? Him out. Yeah, yes. I think he balanced Ken because Kenny was so outrageous, and even though Stevie was ridiculous, he was still the straight man in a way. Yeah, it was that's a right. very it was a really like weird juxtaposition to see that, but but he was he was that, and I feel like he was the heart of the show in a way. That's right. Yes, like he was the conscience of the show, yes. and uh, and I think it just really helped soften Kenny up as well. Like because right. April sort of did that, but not really because the the even though it's a love story between April and and Kenny, really it's the friendship of Kenny and Stevie that blossoms, and you okay. see that arc and also how Stevie and even eventually Maria impact Kenny and the way into who he becomes. That's right. So yeah, I I think it would have been different if you hadn't had, and Steve was originally supposed to be one small role. Like he wasn't supposed to be the part of the show. Yeah. Cause he was just like the pilot. He was brilliant that they had to keep him. And, and I think that's one credit that I have to give the guys is that when they see something in someone that, bring something that there's something that they see there but they stick with that person and they bring them they try to figure out a way to like bring them in so i i think really cool like that's such a credit to them as like creators and writers and having that keen eye of seeing like this could become something really cool absolutely yeah like he sends me poems all the time or See, oh, oh, that's one thing I wanted to talk about too. Like, it felt to me like you had a good bond with him. You could, you could just tell that it, it worked really, really well. So, yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, but it was interesting that you said that you'd never met him before that. So, to so Jill, like you did for those three or four we, seasons, we got was... wasted a lot together. <laughs> We've probably well, that... we probably made out a few times too. <laughs> Well, did he have to shave his head? He yeah. shaved his head in one series. He did series. his eyebrows. Yeah, right. So did he get paid extra for that, or was it just like... Just no, I think he was pissed off about it because they didn't offer him extra. <laughs> like, okay. I didn't get hazard pay for the boobs. Oh, um, yeah. I actually ended up having a really bad reaction to the boobs, and I remember David Gordon Green. But I just yeah. remember <laughs> David Gordon Green being like, why don't you just get real ones? I'll pay for them. And I was yeah. like, what? No. And I'm like, maybe, I'll never work maybe. again. Yeah, and uh, and then I remember he's like, well, I just worked with Nicolas Cage and he's down for anything. I'm like, okay, difference, <laughs> Nicolas Cage makes millions and I don't. Second, I don't think you're asking him to enlarge his dick. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Let's not, you know, compare. Actually, my Danny let me take a pair of my tits and they were just like falling apart. Like I had them on this cast thing. And uh, for Marilyn's 50th birthday, because he's such a huge fan, I was like, well, what do you give the guy that has everything? I signed my tits and I gave them to him for his birthday. So they're at Marilyn Manson's house. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. So you have a like a like a friendship with yeah, with, yeah. He's yeah, right. been, yeah, associate us together. No. But we became friends because he's such a fan of the show. Right. And then he made, he did a cameo, and we've been buddies since like season two. Wow. 
he's buddies with me and Steve. Me, Steve, and Craig Robinson. We always go to his concerts. Like he just invites us or his birthday parties and stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Like he's I've seen him he's a couple of times cool here dude. in Australia. And he he's talks so it. And he's he so talks it. Yeah. 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 A lot of the stuff he does is for Shock Belly. Like yes. I first met him. I like he would do stuff to see if he could like get me to freak out a little bit. And then I was just like, no. And then he, I think he liked the fact that I was like so unimpressed. And uh, yeah, so now it's just like, now he's just like him. Like he's like just normal Manson. I call him Manson. So, Uh, but yeah, no, he's cool. My husband loves him. Like he's, you know, he's a cool guy. He expected someone different and he's like, oh, he's actually a cool guy. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, he came up to me at our season two premiere and took a picture with me. And then we went to the after party and I was walking with my friends and I just feel someone tap me and I turn around and all my friends turn with me. And he's like, I love your tits. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what? You want to come and sit with me? And I'm like, well, I have a table too. You can come and sit with me. <laughs> I'm like, we're at the after party for the show that I'm on. Obviously, I have a table. <laughs> he sent me this poem, yeah. the left-handed poem. This is my first poem written by my left hand, so it might be uh, illegible and hard to understand. But I'm trying to think different and rewire my brain and maybe just maybe not to be so insane. And I'm going to drive my car with my eyes closed, but shh, don't tell anybody. I hope that no one knows. I'll drive to the beach and I'll drive to the grocery store, but I won't buy frozen uh, pizzas because I don't eat processed foods no more. See, I'm uh, turning my life upside down and this poem is proof. And now I'm looking up all the ground up. I'm looking up at the ground and down at the roof. And I know that sounds crazy and hard to understand, but that's what happens when I write with my left hand. <laughs> and he sent well, me another He just sends me back <laughs> for Marilyn Manson's, uh, I think it was his 52nd birthday. He read him a poem at his birthday party. Wow, that's so cool. My was so tickled. He was so tickled. He loved it. He loved it. Wow, that's so cool. 